Our need to stand still in a world filled with chaos and uncertainty has never been more important. You are invited to take this moment to wrap your heart and mind in narratives from the Hebrew scriptures, connect to its deep guidance, and move toward practices for encountering the presence of God in your life. Thanks for listening today to the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bruff. The following recording is part of a series called Be Still and Behold, 10 Weeks Exploring God's Presence in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was recorded in Winnipeg, Canada, for Prairie Presbyterian Church, where I am the pastor. This is Part 6, God in the Temple, Part 1. We acknowledge that we are gathered on Treaty 1 land, first entrusted by Creator God to the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, the homeland of the Red River Métis. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I flee from your presence? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I flee from your
Today's time of confession is an invitation to focus on your relationship with God, to acknowledge that God is in fact seeking you out and that God has shown up in the past. Take time today to admit how you may have been putting up blocks to God working or may have been limiting what God might do in your life. Let us pray. God of the cloud, fire, earthquake, and mighty storm, you have made yourself known in countless ways. You have shown up, have sought us out, searched for us to bring us into relationship with you. We confess that we have built our own lives, our own structures, and not always been builders of your kingdom. We confess that we have limited you to only certain corners of our existence. We have not always opened ourselves to your presence. We have not risked truly preparing for you to appear. We have not allowed ourselves to be surprised at what you will do. So, Lord, we ask that you change our hearts. Come among us once again and allow us to be your temple, the place where you reside. Abide in us and even allow others to see your grace at work in us. Keep us humble and unafraid of the transformation that only your presence can bring. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, God lived among us as one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. He was and is present to your hurts, fears, and failings. Though you fall short of the loving, compassionate way that is revealed in Christ, through Christ, the grace of God continues to pour upon you. Know today that you are forgiven, that the Spirit of God is present with you, and be at peace. May the peace of Christ be with you. You're invited to take a moment and think of someone that you might need, that you think might need to receive peace today. Consider sending them a message. You can wish them the peace of Christ, or perhaps you could send them an encouraging note, or make plans to get together, or share a phone or video call. As you spend time with another person, remember that the presence and peace of Christ continues to be with you. Thus, all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things that his father David had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the Israelites assembled before the king at the festival that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites carried the ark. So they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, who had assembled before him, were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be numbered or counted. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim had spread out their wings over the place of the Ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the Ark and its poles. Now when the priests came out of the holy place, 
all the Levitical singers, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. It was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would reside in thick darkness. But will God indeed reside with mortals on earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Have regard to your servant's prayer and his plea. O Lord, my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you. May your eyes be open day and night towards this house, the place where you promised to set your name. And may you heed the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. And hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. May you hear from heaven your dwelling. Hear and forgive. When Solomon had ended his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. I've noticed a few friends of mine have been posting on Facebook pictures of themselves traveling in England. I don't know what it is about. I have friends from different walks of life who are all traveling in the UK. And some of the pictures they're posting are pictures of these beautiful cathedrals that they're going to visit. And some are actually going to worship services or just kind of touring around and seeing these incredible structures. Today, we're talking about God in the temple and um, and so I was just sort of reminded of that as I saw their pictures. I was also reminded of an experience I had a few years ago. I attended the Festival of Homiletics in Atlanta. Um, it's basically a festival of preaching. <laughs> this is something pastors do, I guess, is go and have a festival and listen to a bunch of sermons. Um, it was a great experience, but before I went to it, I visited uh, a church that was part of basically a mega church network. And we're a small church here, like, you know, uh, just a handful of people gathering together on Sunday mornings and then a handful watching online. Um, and this was quite the experience going to a really, really big church. Um, they're part of a, a network, so it wasn't too massive, maybe a thousand people there. Um, but they're part of a network that has ch have churches that have 10,000 people. And the worship service was actually incredible. And I went there expecting a real spectacle, um, something just over the top. And actually, it ended up being an experience where the leaders and the people just seemed really sincere. Um, they were there to worship God, to connect with Jesus. And um, yeah, it was a beautiful space that had been built, a beautiful building and um, a beautiful auditorium. But it wasn't necessarily 
um, what I was expecting in terms of kind of them putting on a show. It was really the leaders leading the people in a time of worshiping God together. It's really quite beautiful. Um, I, did, I went there in the morning on the Sunday, and the Sunday evening was the opening worship for the Festival of Homiletics in a different church building, not far away, within walking distance of, the, of this megachurch network. It was a United Methodist Church, also a huge space, um, and several thousand people gathered, and also um, the opportunity for it to be this big, big, extravagant thing. They, and part of it was they had... Um, an organ playing and the organ, I'd heard organ music there like I'd never heard before. It was just incredible, just over the top. But at the same time, we were led through this time of praise and this time of worship where um, there was a sincerity to it. Uh, so I really enjoyed that time. Um, as I was thinking about this and thinking about the temple, which is this grand experience that the people have, the people of Israel, I was also reminded that we have experiences of God in small settings. I remember sitting with a house church one time and um, having a similar experience to what I had in two really large church settings of the leaders in the house church just sincerely leading a small group of us through a time of connecting with God together. Um, so this can happen in all kinds of different ways. One of the things that I wanted to do with this reading today is I wanted to resist trying to use this text to convince you that you should all come to church every single week. Um, for those of you who are part of our community, I know there's people outside of Prairie who are watching or listening to this, but if you're part of our community, I do want to just say to you, I miss you if you're not here. Um, I would definitely love to see you in person, but I'm not going to use this text to say, oh, you know what? The people of Israel had worship in a building, and so we should all make sure that we're worshiping in a building together. Um, some people are not yet comfortable being in the space together, and for some, um, even the time of day, I've heard, is it's better for you to be able to watch at a different time, so I totally understand that. Um, and that's actually not what this text is about. It isn't really about getting people together in person for corporate worship weekly, and that's what has to happen. It may actually be about how the people built a place for God's presence. They built a place together for God's presence, and then God actually showed up. So it may be an opportunity for us to think about what in today's world is being built, or what, what might we build that could serve in people experiencing God's presence. What might we build that could serve in people experiencing God's presence? The temple, the first temple, because there's, um, it was destroyed eventually, and then uh, a second one was built, which was destroyed as well. This first temple, uh, when it was first built, it was in some ways an expression of who the people were and where they were at as a people. So we find in First Chronicles 17, we hear about King David, and he has a desire to build a house for God, David says. And part of his desire is saying, what am I doing here? I'm, as the king of Israel, I'm in this beautiful house of cedar, and God is still in the tent, in the tabernacle. Uh, there's no permanent structure for God to reside. Uh, that's not right. And um, at first, the, the prophet Nathan says to David, do as, you, do as you wish, do as you see fit. But then a word comes to Nathan, and essentially it's God saying, 
you know, the tent is fine. <laughs> it's, it's worked well, and it actually makes a lot of sense. As God's people move around, God can move around with them. Um, but God then moves to say, but your son can build me a house. So maybe things are changing a little bit for the people of Israel, right? It used to make sense that God was in this tent that could move, um, and God could be in the midst of the community, even if the community had to move to a different location. But now they've been in the promised land for quite some time, and they've just established a monarchy. They're on their second king, King David. And then once we got to the third king, maybe it's time for a permanent structure, a building. It's in their time as a people, it's a time actually of centralization as a people. They now have a monarchy. And it's a time of unity for the people of God. So it seems like it's a good time to transfer from tent to temple. A new and maybe better container for God's presence. Right? Because sometimes the containers change. Now, there's all kinds of preparation that go into building the temple. Actually, King David starts the preparations so that uh, Solomon, his son, can... Uh, complete uh, the, the building process. The building of the temple was this massive undertaking. It took seven years, and there were 180,000 people who worked on it over seven years. Massive. Now, if you look at, if you go and read and you find out the amount of gold and silver that were used in the temple, um, both in the construction, but also for the things of the temple, like candle stands and altar and things like that. If you go and look at how much was used, it's absolutely staggering. Um, we can read that there was 100,000 talents of gold that were set aside for just the temple project and a million talents of silver. Now, talents don't mean very much to us because we have no idea what that is. We think, oh, okay, 100,000 talents. It was a massive amount of gold. Um, it's actually, if you do a conversion, you can figure it out. Uh, so it's actually 3.4 million kilograms of gold and then 34 million kilograms of silver. That's a lot. Uh, I went and did the math and figured out how much that's worth in today's dollars. So in Canadian dollars, the gold alone is $244 billion and the silver is 34, uh, is 26 billion. So just, um, just the silver and gold in the temple in today's dollars would be valued at $270 billion. Dollars. It's this talk about over the top. It's crazy. It's this massive undertaking, this massive building project to create the most beautiful and incredible structure of that part of the ancient world. It's unbelievable what was devoted to that. So all kinds of preparation go in. They are committed to this project. And then we read... In Second Chronicles uh, 5, we read about the trumpeters and the singers. So it says that it was their duty to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And then we read, and when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, uh, then the house ends up being filled with a cloud. Uh, the temple is filled with a cloud. So this is almost, in a way, part of the buildup when we read it. 
says, you know, the trumpeters and singers are together. And when the song was raised with the trumpets, with the cymbals, with other musical instruments and praise to the Lord. And then we hear the, the, the words that they are singing is for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. I just want us to stop there because you got to think they've done all this. They worked for seven years. They've devoted all of this major capital to this building project. They're all there. They're playing the instruments. They're singing. And God actually hasn't shown up yet. They've done all of this. And as the instruments are played and the words are sung, then suddenly God shows up. We read the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. It's really interesting that the priests, it says, could not stand to minister or to serve or in this particular time that looked like sacrificing, sacrificing of animals is what the priests were doing. And it's almost as though they had that all planned out. Okay, we're going we're gonna to have these different sacrifices that are going to happen. But once they've actually started the worship, God actually shows up. The glory of the Lord fills the house of God, and the priests can't even do the sacrificing anymore. So it's like the formal planned worship, the ritual, ceases. And there's this sort of vacuum that happens. What's going to happen? And here's, here's what does happen is Solomon, King Solomon steps forward and King Solomon prays a prayer. And we read a little bit of it. The big thing in Solomon's prayer that I want to focus on is there is surprise in his prayer. He says in Second uh, Chronicles six eighteen, he says, but will God indeed reside with mortals on earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built? So here's what's interesting. It's focusing on God's transcendence, right? Um, it's sort of like Solomon is saying, what? What is happening? God is actually showing up. Um, a better translation of this, maybe if you're going to get closer to the Hebrew, it says, even heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. But here you are. We built it. And you've chosen to be here. There's awe and wonder in what Solomon is praying here. We built this. Even the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less, and I love it that he just says, how much less this house that I've built. Uh, It's the most incredible structure of its time. And I mean, even now, devoting that amount of money to a building, um, it's, it's overwhelming to think what it was like, what it must have been like. And Solomon is in awe at the presence of God and the glory of God, even showing up, even showing up. We read then that when Solomon had ended his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And then we read again, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. God sends fire 
to do the sacrificing that the priests have now been unable to do because they're basically overcome by the glory of God. So God sends fire, takes care of burning the sacrifices. The priests, we read, cannot enter the house, it says. So you got to remember the temple is actually, uh, there's the structure of the actual building, but then there's a court so that's, that's walled off, right? So they're probably in the court seeing there's no way we can go inside the building. We can't go inside the house, the building, because the glory of the Lord, it's too strong there. We can't get in there. So that's maybe what's going on. So fire comes down, consumes the sacrifices. The priest can't enter the house. And then we read, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So what ends up happening is, is that the planned worship service that they've, that they've kind of orchestrated and that they've begun, it actually does not continue in the way that was originally planned because God shows up and it's chaos. The people end up just bowing down in awe of what they're experiencing. And then the very conclusion of at least this part of the worship is ends up being the exact same words that the singer sang. And now it's all the people who are singing those words. So we end up with actually a call and response throughout this new worship service that God's spirit has kind of injected himself into. So we start with the singers and the trumpeters and and, uh, the musicians, and they have this uh, phrase that they say, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Then God shows up in this powerful way. Then the king steps up and prays. Then God again shows up in a powerful way with the glory of God in the temple. And then the people respond with the same thing that the service began with. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So there's this back and forth between the leaders, God, um, and then God and God's people. And it's really mirroring this dynamic relationship um, that exists between God and God's people. It's played out in the setting of corporate worship, which is kind of the same thing that's supposed to be happening in our corporate worship as well. It's supposed to give us a mirror for our relationship with God in the rest of life. Um, God had already given them all the instructions on building the temple, on organizing themselves, and on what to do. And they did all of that and got to the moment and then God showed up. And when God shows up, God breaks through even the structures that God has given. And the people are simply left with falling to the ground in awe. The structures that God provides for them, even this magnificent temple, those are not the goal. Building a beautiful temple, having the right prayer figuring out the perfect program. These are not ends in and of themselves. These are the containers for encountering God. And we as human beings need those containers. We both anticipate God showing up and are also surprised and in awe when God does show up. So what are our containers today? A church building? Maybe a YouTube channel or a podcast, perhaps a certain song or a bit of liturgy or a sermon could be a group of people 
gathered together, whether in person or online, and maybe it looking very different than what we are doing here or what was done in the temple or what was done in those churches that I described at the beginning of this talk. A group of people gathered together, could that be the container? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes our practices of prayer are our containers as well. And so last week, uh, Aaron introduced the practice of centering prayer. So I want you to think of that as your container for today, as I encourage you to once again try out this practice of centering prayer. And just a reminder, the way to do that, the the basic way, is to think of a word or a phrase. It could be uh, the word grace or love um, or light. And have that in mind. And over these next two minutes, you simply just return to that word. The idea of centering prayer is really to try to practice being in the presence of God without bringing your own kind of agenda to the prayer. Um, without bringing your own thoughts or worries or concerns, um, or even thanksgivings. Now, for sure, within the time that you're spending in centering prayer, your mind is going to wander. That's absolutely normal. Just when that happens, bring your thought back to your word or your phrase and just repeat it again, grace or light. Remember, though, that the word or the phrase is not actually the point. It's actually kind of like another container. As you gain practice with centering prayer, you'll hopefully start to realize it's actually about sitting in God's presence. The form is there to help you be in God's presence. So let's take two minutes now, and you can practice longer as well on your own if you want. Let's take two minutes of now, uh, right now, to practice centering prayer together. I invite you to think of a word or phrase which helps you bring God to mind. Now that you've got a word or a phrase, I invite you to close your eyes if that's something that you feel safe doing and just take a few breaths in and out. Pay attention to how that feels. Imagine the spirit of God filling you and spreading out into every part of your body. Now bring your word to mind and all you're going to focus on for the next two minutes is your word or phrase. Your mind will wander. This is incredibly normal. You're not failing at centering prayer. Each time you catch yourself wandering, just bring yourself back to the word without judgment and return to your breathing in and out. I've set a timer. And so at the end of two minutes, I will let you know. This will not go on forever. I promise. Let us take a moment to breathe and enter into prayer.
And that was two minutes. For some of you, that may have felt very, very long. And for others, as if only a moment has gone by. And so I invite you to slowly blink open your eyes if they were closed, to return to breathing normally, and to join us in song as we finish our service. Amen. Thanks 
to Ashley Boychuk for her reading and singing of the psalm, Aaron Whitaker for her tireless work on the liturgy, Wes Keeley for all his technical wizardry and producing the original videos for the series. You can find the video version of Be Still and Behold on the YouTube channel for Prairie Presbyterian Church. Visit prairiechurch.ca to find out more and to get the accompanying PDF. I'm Matt Bruff, pastor at Prairie Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg and host of this, the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. Thanks for listening today. Take care.